you know, how do you pull back from that? How do you try and uh, it's a bigger question for us tonight, I suppose, because, you know, how would you bring people together right now? I do not know. But I suppose the other question I wanted it's to not, ask you. It's the, answer, is, the answer for this big question is yeah. simple. Imposing human rights, justice, uh, dignity for everybody. And then yeah. there will be no need for anger and hatred and violence. But of course, it is natural that oppression, dehumanization will uh, generate uh, anger and will generate a, a very small percentage of the violence that we endured all through the Palestinian history. We cannot, people who are so astonished of what happened, they take this uh, event, this episode, um, away from the long Palestinian history. And, uh, and then they cannot understand the situation. We cannot look at this uh, episode uh, outside the... In isolation. The, the narrative I, I, and the, the history, yeah. I, I think, Doctor, most people watching will totally understand that because we understand, we, are, we have a knowledge and understanding of the history of what's been happening and how, how wrong it has been. Um, and I suppose the, the next question is, is we heard from Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday that he was that he was going to change the whole situation in the Middle East by his actions. And we've seen the most intense attack on Gaza so far that of all the attacks that there have been um, from the air. And now we're hearing news that actually um, the uh, uh, Israeli army are preparing possibly to invade. But do you think that they are? The, some in the is we, we know that the Israeli government c contains some extreme far right uh, individuals who have been quite clear that they want to clear Palestinians out of the occupied territories all altogether. Do you think we are now potentially looking at an operation to force uh, the majority of the 2.4 million odd Palestinians in Gaza to evacuate from Gaza into Egypt? Do you think we are on the verge of? ethnic cleansing or genocide I, I hear I hear I heard over the past couple of days uh, four things that attracted my attention one of them is this drawing an analogy between what happened and September the 11th and uh, drawing and drawing resemblance also between the Palestinian resistance and the Isis Daesh mm. uh, and calling Palestinians animals dehumanizing them and insect we heard previously insects and snakes and so on and this de dehumanization facilitates the acts of genocide and then they they speak those those uh, statements are in israeli media and they uh, they were expressed by israeli officials i'm not talking about israeli lay people so when we hear uh, 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 this dehumanization of Palestinians and the pretext to change the picture in 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 Gaza uh, and uh, a, the Western uh, mindset is ready uh, to accept mm. that when they make a resemblance between September the 11th uh, and Daesh between Palestinians and and uh, uh, the, the event of September the 11th and uh, uh, the acts of ISIS, I think this is very, very dangerous.
I think they are paving the way for uh, a very big thing to happen. This is yes. scary. Yes. I mean, I'm, I've got a question here from Katie Marshall. Um, and Katie says, uh, Dr. Samajaba, I know how much I struggle with my own mental well-being. Um, is medication available for Palestinians should they need it? Thank you very much. Uh, let me state very clearly that this situation requires international law and human rights, not medications. Mm -hmm. uh, the psychological pain uh, that Palestinians experience comes from oppression, injustice, um, uh, political violence. I don't think that pathologizing people, calling them uh, mentally ill and providing psychotherapy or uh, individual psychotherapy or medication is the right response mm. to this situation. This situation requires solidarity, uh, advocacy for the human rights and for international law to be implemented for Palestinians. It requires the third party, the third states, mm. to not be quiet, to not be quiet about this situation. I, I didn't hear any official regime, any uh, Western official regime asking Israel for self-restraint. No, they, they they haven't. And actually, I mean, I know that Katie was asking a, a, a more personal question, I suppose, about you know how you can actually get hold of of medications if you really need it. But your the, the bigger point that you're making is a very powerful one because uh, we what we have seen repeatedly, uh, certainly since Russia invaded Ukraine, is the citing of international law and the UN Charter and much else besides. And many many people around the world are asking the same questions of the countries in the West. Uh, wh why are you not challenging uh, Israel now when quite clearly it is engaged in collective punishment? And you referred just then, Doctor, to the comments of the um, Israeli military chief um, and also what he was saying about stopping uh, water supplies, stopping electricity, stopping food, stopping humanitarian supplies. And humanitarian supplies have been turned back at the Egyptian border, we understand too. This is the, actually possibly uh, an equivalent of the British at the height of the troubles in Northern Ireland uh, doing the same to Northern Ireland and bombing Belfast and Londonderry, building by building into submission. So I think that this, around the world, people can see international law being broken uh, uh, quite deliberately by the Israeli government. And they really would like to know why the West, in particular, the United States, the EU and Britain, are being silent. Why do you think that they've got nothing to say, these countries, Doctor? Listen, I'm not a political analyst, but as a Palestinian, I know my history and I know that... Uh, uh, the countries who have colonial history, it's difficult for them to oppose Israel. Mm, yes, yes, <laughs> very true. Um, I just wanted also, because we should have asked some of these questions at the beginning, I hope you don't mind, but um, if, could you tell us about you know, your particular role um, and, and, and how you got to do, you got into the, the work that you're doing, how you got into this position um, and you know, how, how the, how the mental health system actually is able to function uh, when, yes. when it's under such terrible attack. But how, did, how on earth can this, how can you properly function in, in, the, in the occupied Palestinian territories uh, right now? 
listen, I'm a psychiatrist by training and I'm a clinician. I continue to do clinical work even after um, uh, having um, an administrative um, uh, position at the Palestinian Ministry of Health. And my position is the director of the mental health unit uh, where I uh, gather uh, stakeholders in mental health, representatives of many local and international NGOs working in mental health. And we draft Palestinian national policies trying to organize uh, mental health services in Palestine. Uh, in Palestine, we have very few uh, people specialized in mental health, like psychiatrists or clinical psychologists. Um, but we have uh, many people in the helping profession, like doctors, nurses, teachers, counselors. So we have um, an in we, ha we implement an integration program where uh, low intensity mental health interventions are uh, practiced by uh, a general doctor or a, a nurse or a school counselor. Um, we have also, we have, um, a, it, in, in my role, we drafted uh, in my office, uh, we drafted a suicide prevention plan, a national suicide prevention plan um, a child and adolescent mental health strategy and a general uh, national mental health strategy. Uh, I, I'm officially responsible for mental health services in the West Bank, but uh, uh, I have been helping many organizations in Gaza, uh, medical organizations like Médecins du Monde and Médecins Sans Frontières and um, a, a, and uh, also I collaborate uh, with the colleagues at the Minister of Health um, to support uh, mental health, uh, the mental health system in Gaza as well. I mean, looking at the situation right now and the impossibility of getting actual humanitarian aid, medical aid into, uh, uh, into Gaza and the, the, the absolutely, the fact of course, as, as we know that the significant population is young in Gaza. It's a very young population. Yeah. What, what on earth can they be experiencing and going through now, do you think? A, a, official reports uh, conclude that there is very high percentage of depression and PTSD in, in the Palestinian population. There was a World Bank uh, uh, survey that uh, concluded that 50% of the Palestinians suffer from depression and... Uh, the Save the Children survey, who concluded that 80% of children also need mental health uh, interventions. And I criticize uh, these surveys because I think they don't, they are uh, designed in a way that don't differentiate between misery and uh, psychosocial suffering mm -hmm. due to political violence and uh, mental health problems. The assumption is that Palestinians have a problem in their mind, in their heads. And the big pathology lies within their context, in their env environment. Uh, so that's one thing that I try to clarify uh, in, in my daily work. This is not to say that we don't have, of course, we have high prevalence of mental health disorders. But many people who suffer from grief, from uh, loss, 
from uh, oppression, uh, their their problem, the suffering is their normal reaction to what's happening outside, and the intervention should be outside their minds, in in the context. Uh, a more serious study was published in uh, by WHO was published in the Lancet, two thousand nineteen. Mm -hmm. Uh, suggests that in countries uh, where there is political violence, including Palestine, the prevalence of mental health disorders is 22%. Ooh. That's significant. That's already a lot for the small... What would be uh, the comparison for a, for a similar country? What would, be the, what, what would be the percentage um, similarities for, uh, for another country? Let's say Jordan or Egypt. I mean, uh, the point point prevalence of mental health international point prevalence of mental health disorder is estimated to be ten percent. Lifetime prevalence okay. of mental health disorder is expected to be one in four people, twenty five percent lifetime if we follow people all through their life. But the point prevalence of mental health disorder in Palestine is estimated to be twenty two percent. Well, we've in Dr. We, we we've interviewed an, a, a lot of people over the past few years. You know, in Gaza, youngsters very often, and and what they what has come through is time and time again is that they've they've said you know you have to understand that we we are young people, but we all live in fear of being killed, of dying young, of being savagely injured because they've just lived through war after war after war. So yes. It's very yes. difficult for people to comprehend that who don't live in such circumstances, isn't it? Yeah. There is no peace. There is no safety. Uh, and in, you know, the, the, the predicament of Palestine is the geographic fragmentation. And there are uh, uh, socio-political determinants of health in each place that, that differ from each other. For example, in Jerusalem, the big predicament of young people uh, is uh, uh, the detention of minors. The detention of minors, uh, it, it breaks the normal development of, of children. When they go out, they are interrupted. They cannot go back to their childhood and they cannot uh, develop as uh, healthy adults. And it injects feeling of guilt and impunity in their parents who could not prevent that uh, event, the detention, from happening. In the West Bank, also, there is uh, killing, bombardment, detention. Uh, so each, in, in, in the area C of the West Bank, which is uh, adjacent, the villages adjacent to the settlements, there is a high rate of drop out of schools. Uh, so it's very important to understand the politics to be able to measure the impact on the well-being and the health of Palestinians. I want to tell you that even if we don't look at the direct impact on uh, on, on patients and the well-being of patients and the health of patients, when the situation is so threatening for us, we, we cannot reach our workplace. This week, we celebrate the International uh, Mental Health Day. We planned many activities, many trainings, capacity building for our staff, Everything was cancelled. Many of our staff cannot reach their workplace. So indirectly, our patients are affected by this situation. Yeah.
But this is normalcy in Palestine. Mm. Even we don't need a war on Gaza to, to have these uh, challenges. This is normalcy. But the 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 situation in gaza it's uh, it's not the first time uh, it's not the first time that uh, people in gaza get exposed to this uh, i think the big uh, the big um, uh, astonishment in the world now is that for the first time israelis are affected and it's their safety and comfort and uh, uh, lives that that are on stake and this is why there is big interest in the region now but as far as palestinians are the only ones who suffer who shout there is less interest in the world well just a bit of historical context i'm i'm old enough to remember the first major um attacks that came across the border into what was rhodesia uh, and suddenly people became uh, interested because uh, white settler rhodesians their farms were coming under attack but look I'm going to take a few questions, if I may, Dr. Sama, from um, from, uh, from some of our viewers. Uh, Shakiba, uh, after the Mokadam, uh, I hope Shakiba, I'm pronouncing your name properly, but uh, Shakiba says, I'm a psychology academic in the UK. How can we incorporate the voices and experience of Palestinians into our work, particularly in academia? Um, yes. Because academia is petrified of being labelled as offensive. I know how challenging it can be uh, for people in academia in the West, uh, because uh, the, the slightest of the attacks that if, if we want to tell the micro stories of Palestinians in an academic way, that this is not academic enough. Because there is imperialism in academia also, where you have to spend a big budget to do research. And for people who are uh, overworked like ourselves, uh, uh, our evidence is not a strong academic evidence. I think it will be very precious for Palestinians uh, that academics who are sympathetic with the Palestinian cause and who want to serve justice is to help us generate knowledge, valid knowledge from Palestine that can be uh, uh, expressed in an academic way and can uh, uh, shed a light on, on the Palestinian reality. Uh, I have the, the experience in the UK that uh, uh, Brunel University, uh, one of my articles on PTSD was taught at Brunel University, and there was uh, an objection by uh, an Israeli, pro-Israel legal body, and it was withdrawn from the curricula. And then there was uh, some solidarity by uh, UK Palestine Mental Health Network or USA Palestine Mental Health Network. And we managed to get it back to the curricula. So I want to say that it is challenging, tiring, exhausting, depleting. But if we uh, are patient enough and steadfast enough and we continue the consistent work, not only in the time of crisis, the consistent work at any time, I think we can shed more light on the Palestinian experience and we can generate a lot of knowledge from Palestine. And this knowledge will serve many other people who live in oppressive situations and political violence like Palestinians. 
Thank you, Doctor. Um, there's a question here. This is from Miriam, um, and uh, she's in Glasgow in Scotland. She says, thank you all for thank you for all that you do, Dr. Jabba. You're an inspiration and your work is absolutely essential. It's great to hear about your work in Gaza, too. Today, as we've said, is the United Nations World Mental Health Day. Should the issue of Palestine become more widely associated with the world of mental health, which is a popular topic now in the West? And if so, how do you think we can achieve that? Uh, it, it's important to, to talk about uh, the situation in, in Palestine. Uh, I think uh, we have, um, in spite of the little capacity of people working in mental health, the small numbers of people working in, in mental health, uh, we managed to establish um, um, a reliable community mental uh, health system. Uh, we depend less on hospitalizing patients and we try to serve people closer to their homes. And this is a, a progressive uh, modality of work in mental health in general, in, in, in comparison to, to other countries, in comparison to other Arab countries, uh, in fact, where they have more hospitalization than uh, in Palestine. Um, uh, I think when human rights and mental health in, in the world is understood uh, to be about the human rights of the patient and um, uh, stigma and child protection and gender-based violence, but uh, in, in Palestine, political violence is the biggest threat to uh, our human rights and to our uh, uh, mental health. Uh, it's always important to uh, remind the world of that. I want to say also that mental health professionals have been, uh, you, the, the colleague spoke uh, a minute ago about uh, academia, academics being petrified, but mental health professionals, especially those working for international NGOs are usually petrified the principles of uh, impartiality and neutrality uh, can be misunderstood as uh, being quiet about uh, human rights violations. Uh, but if the same, if we sing, if we use the same logic of uh, informing about a child who's being abused, informing about the abuser of a child before we treat the psychological consequences of the abuse, I think mental health professionals need to uh, reject and oppose and uh, shed a light on human rights abuses uh, uh, before we talk about uh, providing Palestinians with more medications or more uh, individual therapy. Uh, that's a, a, a premise that is uh, well understood in Palestine, and I have many colleagues who um, try to uh, advance this thinking in, in Palestine. For so long, we were silenced and hushed when we talk about uh, the political reality in international gatherings. But uh, a year ago, or maybe two years ago, I attended the Global Mental Health Summit in Italy, and uh, the meeting was opened by um, uh, Elena Zelensky, 
there was room to talk about trauma in Ukraine. Mm. This was not, this is usually not the case for Palestine. We cannot talk about uh, 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 the political situation and the impact of the political situation on, on Palestinians. We can talk about gender-based violence, but not the political situation because you cannot touch Israel. You cannot talk about Israel. You cannot criticize it. There is no room. So this exposes the hypocrisy, not, not only the hypocrisy of regimes or politicians, but also in mental health institutions. There is uh, silencing and uh, there, there are people exceptions people. for certain people. A lot of people won't have appreciated that. And, and I've, I've got a question coming up shortly, which I think you're going to be very interested in, uh, Doctor. But a few more comments from uh, our viewers here. Aina Hutchinson, uh, she says... Here in Ireland, as part of the Ireland-Palestine Mental Health Network, we stand in solidarity with our Palestinian colleagues and friends. Uh, Elizabeth Berger, she says, and uh, dear Dr. Summer, the USA-Palestine Mental Health Network supports your just cause. Um, Carmel O'Hara says, totally agree with Dr. Summer. Understanding the context leading up to this attack is crucial. Sadly, the dominant narrative coming from the West is lacking, reflecting this context. Also, I'm part of the Ireland-Palestinian Mental Health Network, standing in solidarity with our Palestinian colleagues. Um, Doctor, I, my colleague Omar, um, who you met before we came on air this evening, he's he's written written quite widely uh, written quite widely written quite widely you see i can't get my words out this evening but he's talked about the psychological impact of waiting on palestinians and what we mean by that is in all aspects of their lives um omar's put together this work to essentially describe the life of your average palestinian as just waiting and, and by that we mean you know, slowing down their lives to a paralyzing stasis at checkpoints for work or building permits or under siege. And of course, right now, the waiting is waiting for what's going to come next from the air or in the West Bank, waiting to see if you can get out of your home or waiting to see if you can get, get to the shop. So the question really is, from Omar, has waiting become excruciating in Palestine? It depends where and for whom exactly. I think for prisoners in Israeli jail, waiting is so difficult. And for their families who are waiting for them to, to, to be liberated. Uh, uh, for people waiting for uh, a big threat to be alleviated, I think this is a very... Uh, uh, very uh, time time takes forever, mm -hmm. uh, and then in one second you can get a child killed. So it's a very fast thing. In 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 one minute you can get a, a building completely demolished. So it depends from which angle we are looking at time. I personally have an issue with time. I I I I I have lived my life as if I am in a race with time. I spend a lot of time. I work. I'm from Jerusalem. I work in the West Bank, going to different cities, and I spend a lot of time at checkpoints. And um, I I try to be mindful 
I eat my sandwiches while waiting at the checkpoint. I call my old friends that I haven't called for a while. I try to use, I check my emails at the checkpoint, but uh, when when there is shooting or uh, mm. tear gas at checkpoint and I'm waiting, it's sometimes impossible. All my uh, resilience uh, tactics will not work in, mm. in a dangerous time. Yeah. Goodness. Well, look, uh, Shakiba comes back and she says, thank you so much, Dr. Summer. I've taken on all of your feedback. Uh, we will never give up. Western institutions have a responsibility to human rights and have to step up. Thank you so much. Um, Pamela Blakelock uh, says, I had the privilege to meet you in 2019 on a visit from ICAHD in conjunction with the PALM HN International. I'm sure that means a lot to you, not necessarily to some of us, but uh, led by Linda Marsden. And I want to send my support for the Palestine resistance and solidarity. Um, now, uh, Alan Kessadijan, I hope, Alan, I'm so sorry if I've messed up your the pronunciation of your name. I hope you're going to forgive me. But Alan says, do you want to share a little more about the UK-Palestine Mental Health Network? Also, can you mention a bit about the film Derrière les Francs? Oh, yes. Uh, hi, Alan. Uh, the, we established, well, actually, first, the UK-Palestine Mental Health Network uh, uh, was created by a group of mental health professionals who are educated about Palestine and they feel uh, the need to support Palestinians uh, through their profession. So uh, they try to spread education about Palestine among uh, other mental health professionals. And we their creation created a need for Palestinians uh, to create a sister organization to correspond with them. So we created um, Palestine Global Mental Health Network. And uh, we have a few other sister organizations. I think some of the members who send their messages now, uh, they are representatives of uh, the UK, the um, Ireland Palestine Mental Health Network and USA Palestine Mental Health Network. This is the, the creation of these networks, which are not uh, official uh, mental health institutions, but a group of activists who um, know about Palestine and want to spread truth about Palestine and use their lens as mental health professionals to explain the situation to others. This is a very good modality of solidarity, um, of vertical solidarity, because we usually experience solidarity among lay people. No empathy, no solidarity from regimes. But to start this movement um, and de developing solidarity, recruiting solidarity to Palestinians among certain professions, I think this is very valuable and it uh, helps the overworked Palestinians who cannot document all what we experience and all what we testify 
it helps us in this valuable effort to testify for truth in Palestine. Because I think that the plight and the fight for Palestine is not only the armed one, it's also the documentation for history and for justice and for the maintenance of the dignity of those who are affected. So I truly value all the efforts of uh, uh, those professionals in solidarity. And um, uh, I hope there will be more international uh, mental health professionals who will support us. Thank you, Doctor. And Pamela Blakelock comes back and says, uh, for the benefit of, uh, of myself and for any others who are as ignorant as I am on this in this field, ICAHD is the Israeli campaign against house demolitions. PALMHN is Palestine Mental Health Network, part of the global networks which Dr. Jabba is currently talking about. Uh, message from Sam Bahur. Sam says, as a Palestine in Palest as a Palestinian in Palestine, Dr. Sarah gives me great hope for the future. Um, and I'm going up here to take a question uh, from uh, where are we? Lily. And Lily is in Stockport in Northern England, and uh, Lily asks, please may you explain your critique of the Western concept of PTSD? and why it isn't necessarily applicable in Palestine, especially looking at the case for people in Gaza today. Thank you. Because there is no post in our PTSD. Ah. Um, PTSD evolved through the experience of soldiers who go to the violent context, do whatever they do. They go back home to the safety of their home and they continue to having the hypervigilance and avoidance and re-experiencing in a safe place. In the Palestinian context, there is no post, there is no safe place. Uh, so the hypervigilance is necessary for survival. Mm. This is not to say that there is no trauma. Of course there is trauma, but the consequences of trauma don't resemble the description of PTSD. It, the trauma is so enduring, repetitive, individual, mixed with collective experience, circles of loss and violence, to the point that it changes the core beliefs of people, the deep thoughts and the prospect to life. It changes the personality. It changes the mindset. And if we understand this trauma, we will not be surprised when a few hundred men break through the wall and go and do whatever they do. Uh, Cheryl Kamar says, Dr. Jabba, your analogy of confronting the perpetrator of child abuse first before a child's health can be restored was powerful, and I think others will understand. Um, Dominic in Brighton asked this question, um, or is it more a comment? Perhaps it's our Western elites who need serious mental health support. It appears they lack empathy and compassion to such an extent that perhaps they're psychopaths. Uh, the Palestinians are in our prayers, says Shazma Thabusom. Um, and 
yes keep shining bright says alan doctor keep shining bright dr jabber you remain a true inspiration with all of your work for those of you and i was actually going to ask you this question again because uh, we've come back to it who haven't seen derrière les francs it provides yes. a great insight into that work uh, so you recommend we should all watch that film derrière les francs yeah derrière les francs is an is a the film um written on the basis of uh, the articles that are collected in this in this book. Uh, the film director is Alexandra Dolce. And uh, this morning she called me and she told me that she decided to make the film available for free until the end of the month. It is translated to four or five languages. Uh, so you can find it online for free now. It's a it's a film that educates people at, about the history of Palestine and explains the, uh, describes the Palestinian uh, sumud, the concept, the notion of sumud and resilience and the resistance of the Palestinian people. So uh, feel free to watch it and to uh, invite friends and groups to watch the film. Uh, it can serve us at this point in confronting all of those who want to understand the latest events in Gaza, the Hamas incursion to uh, Israeli settlements as an isolated event. This film will explain the history and the psychology of Palestinians. Uh, we have, um, actually, we've just had the link. Uh, you can you can get the link there, um, uh, www.beyondthefrontlines.com. Um, Alan, uh, I beg, beg your pardon, Aina Hutchinson says, brilliant film uh, of truth, resilience. Um, and Katie Marshall says, I can't begin to imagine what stresses Palestinians must go through on a daily basis. I'm privileged to live in safety and relative good health. Um, we are sadly drawing to a close. I just wanted to ask you a couple of final questions, if I, if I may, Doctor, uh, which is, Looking over again, we have to return to what is happening, unfolding before our eyes. And what we learned yesterday uh, was of a decision by the EU Commission. Actually, it appears to have been one EU commissioner to stop uh, agreed uh, aid, humanitarian aid, and other aid going to um, the, uh, the Palestinian occupied territories. And that that decision was rescinded as a result of the, as a result of Turkey, Luxembourg, Denmark. Um, and a couple of other EU member states. Uh, so we saw a decision you know, taken unilaterally by a EU commissioner um, that was then immediately challenged. But there is a wider question of, you know, how, how much health, I mean, how much support are you getting? Um, I mean, uh, we've seen UNRWA's budgets being savaged. We've seen cuts. And right at the time of most intense suffering of the Palestinians. Um, this has been, as we were talking just at the beginning of the show, uh, even before the uh, this terrible uh, uh, series of events, um, there's been a record number of Palestinians killed this year. So why, why, why are we not seeing actually more assistance being given by the international community um, to Palestinians uh, in their time of need? By, by, by the international community, do you mean... Uh, Western countries well, with I suppose, no, I say, generally, or, 
and or the dictatorships. EU. Oh, the, yes. Yeah. What What yeah. do you mean? Official regimes, dictatorships, or Western uh, supremacist uh, regimes? No, I was talking uh, about the uh, EU, uh, EU uh, doctor. I mean, the the, the European Union. There was a decision yesterday to stop aid, and now that was rescinded. They changed their minds because of the pressure of these member states. But because you know, there are some exceptions. Yeah. But I think there is there is solidarity and empathy at the level of grassroots movements and lay people, and the media machine, the Israeli media machine, and pro-Israel media international media machines are trying to change that even. Uh, I think that um, uh, our hope lies in uh, creating, promoting solidarity for Palestinians at the level of grassroots movements. It will take a while. Maybe in some democratic countries, the public opinion of the people will influence the uh, regimes. Uh, but in the Arab countries, I think all all the Palestinian, all the Arab people and the Muslim people support Palestinian, the Palestinian cause, and they cheer for the resistance. But uh, this can never be translated into applicable decisions by their governments. Uh, it's a it's a it's a gloomy situation, and uh, I think that uh, Palestinians don't rely anymore on um, international support uh, don't 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 expect that this will change the uh, uh, the situation and the status quo in the relationship with uh, with israelis i think only when israelis are harmed international uh, regimes will intervene to help israelis not to help palestinians and then they will take the needs of the Palestinians into consideration. This is this sounds like uh, a, a very negative uh, reading of of the reality, but this is our reality. Every day, every day, there are Palestinians killed by Israelis, and this this doesn't uh, get the big titles in international media. Only when Israelis are harmed. There is attention to what's happening here, and hopefully that uh, uh, this will uh, this will change.